Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Hello and welcome to this week's Countryside programme here on Max Radio. I'm Simon Clark. And I'm Kiri Kermode. This weekend I popped along to Bollabeg to the Southern Vintage Tractor and Engine Rally. I caught up with David Brew, farmer from Balakinig in Smale, to find out what he's been up to and how the season has been from so far. And also I went along bat counting with the Manx Bat Group. Well, firstly, Kerry, plenty to fit in. The last in the current series of Countryside. We're having a four-week break, so uh, lots to fit in. Uh, we'll talk about the um, vintage show very shortly. But firstly, I got the thoughts of a well-known contributor to Countryside in previous years, David Brew, who farms at Balakinig in Smale. And like everyone, it's probably a busy time for him at the moment. It, it seems to be non-stop now throughout the year. I, I, I don't really get a... Uh, a slack time really to be honest um no i, I really don't um maybe from from now maybe july part of june and july that's probably the the the, the least busiest of of of, of the year really well you're not concentrating on one thing on your farm either are you no no i mean uh, sheep and cereals uh rotates around sheep and cereals um and and so so that sort of spreads the workload out throughout the year really yeah and the, you talk about the cereals you've been involved uh, with the with the greek uh, the wheat growing for quite a number of years david oh probably 30 really yeah probably 30 years and i, I would think the the island's been self-sufficient now with wheat when when i say self-sufficient uh, supplying Laxiglan mills self-sufficient um, obviously there's a lot of imported bread um, and flour brought onto the island so if 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 that didn't happen then um, probably we 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 wouldn't be self-sufficient uh, you know we we probably have to grow twice as much wheat to offset that imported bread and flour wouldn't be a po- wouldn't be a problem though would it it certainly wouldn't be a problem. Mm. Certainly wouldn't be, most be a welcome, problem. Yeah. It'd be most welcome. Mm. Absolutely, it would because um, trying to find any enterprise that sort of produces and returns a margin is becoming ever more difficult. Why is that? Is that just competition from cheaper things elsewhere that causes it? Scale of agriculture here. It's 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 pretty basic. It's pretty simple. Um, we're trying to in, uh, compete with with imports from from the UK and maybe where certainly their their livestock or or average farm size could be four or five hundred acres, whereas your average farm size here, commercial farm size here, has probably gone up from what it used to be. Because to be honest, now I don't think a commercial farm can survive under two hundred acres here. Really? Not, 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 not thrive, but just survive. Yeah. Um, and it's that difference in scale and the scale of operation and and the costs involved in that scale of operation that basically makes Manx agriculture, in reality, probably uneconomic. Yeah, and that's that role, I suppose, where there was fifty. 30 or 40 acre farms around the north where now there's 
you know, yeah, like you and, were saying. And, and of course, historically, um, that was the reason why the marketing acts were brought in in 1936, was, was to actually protect home production and, and stop, basically, more efficient farming countries dumping food onto, onto our small community, um, where, where basically we couldn't compete with that price. And um, but of course, that protection has gone. Last time I spoke to you, a while ago now, but uh, you'd, you'd started in and, and the lupins not selling <laughs> flowers at the gate or anything. No, no, no. How is that going? Well, I mean, it's it, it sort of all if you if you if you're in a rotation with grass uh, um, and arable crops, um, you which is predominantly wheat here. Um, Another way that where you can break the the disease cycle of of, of wheat and also um, get an element of of nutrition back into the ground is with pulses, whether it be peas, beans, um, or lupins, um, and especially if you're incorporating the sort of the 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 orm or the straw from from any of those pulses back into the ground. Um, and they also sort of fix nitrogen into the ground. You, you're getting a beneficial effect from, from growing pulses and also you're, you're, you're producing sort of home-produced proteins. And most protein is probably imported from America, which is genetically modified. So that has to be a good thing if 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 you if you can grow it locally here on the island and and put that into the food chain that has to be a good thing david brew from smale uh well telling telling us how difficult it is on the farms particularly this year kiri with the with that weather that held all the grass back but uh two or three years in a row really they've been affected never easy the seasons seem to be shifting something unbelievable this last few years. Nothing's ever as it was the year before or the year before that. And many farmers would farm to a calendar. So the 17th of May, we'd start cutting the silage for argument's sake. But now those dates are shifting, you know, either backwards or forwards. And, and it's making a real, real hard task of farming. And uh, like David say, says, he's busy all year round now. Yeah, indeed. Hard to keep up with it. Well, David was there with his uh, pretty new John Deere tractor. There wouldn't have been many of them about where you were, Kerry. No, it's quite funny there was a couple parked in the car park that had actually towed trailers down with the vintage ones on them but no uh, an absolutely wonderful display there at Balabeg at Walker's uh, Bell Abbey uh, in courtesy of Sarah and David Quayle um, I popped along and I caught up with some of the people there with their items and some of the people that organised it so Jenny here we are at the homestead tent of well wonderful things in here yes well the reason why there's so many Singer sewing machines on the Isle of Man is because in 1923, this boat, the Clan McAllister, set off from Glasgow from the Singer factory with a cargo of singers, hand cranks and treadles, and they ran aground. They were on the way to Liverpool to collect more cargo, then going to America. The good people of the Isle of Man rescued them all and took them into their homes and plied them with food and drink. And the next morning when they went back, funnily enough, there was no machines on board the ship. Oh, goodness me! And even to this day, on the calf, 
the irons for the treadle were used in some places to build walls and they're still there and you can still see them. Well, what a story and who would have known that? My goodness yeah, so me. that's the story of the boat. So whether any of these singers were from that cargo, we don't we know. Don't. <laughs> but that's why, in the, at least in the south of the island, almost everybody had a singer sewing machine. Well, I never. Because so. now we always see them like, oh, they're a collector's item and, you know, a wonderwear. That's really quite rare, but obviously... Not now, Not so on much. The Isle of Man. Yes, but some of these are different. This is a Jones. Nice. This is, was made Beautiful, in Manchester, and this apparently came from the original Nobles Hospital, and it was used in their sewing room, and they used it for sewing bandages and sheets and all that kind of thing. Goodness, wow! And it still works perfectly. Um, that one we found in a skip, and it's a German Fist and Rossman and it still works beautifully, but somebody had thrown it so hard they snapped off the ironwork at the end oh with a hand crank. Gosh. But luckily a friend was able to weld it back on for us. So that, all of them work, and the treadle machine, there is, now I never know the name of the road, where Strand Street is, and then it's not Strand Street as it goes to the harbour, where Marx's is there. There was a shop was sold and the people who bought it cleared out underneath and there's all these tunnels and who knew all that was under there and in the cellars underneath and they found this so we put it on Facebook and I bought it so we had to get it up these tiny little windy steps and Lord knows how long it had been underneath there um got it's it going as good as and new. It's gorgeous it sews beautifully absolutely it sews beautifully and, and in comparison to a modern day sewing machine, you see them on Amazon for sale for, for very little money. These yeah. here would well, outstrip them. Yeah, they don't sell for very much. I mean, sort of in America they do because they're very, very popular and they're very difficult. Midwest, where everybody was making quilts with the pioneers and all of that, then yes, there's quite a few, but East Coast and West Coast, not so many, and they go for... I don't know, six, seven hundred dollars. Wow. Unbelievable. Wow. If we could ship some of these out there, we'd make a fortune. <laughs> I've got about 30. Oh no! Yeah. How'd you find room for them all? Uh, kids left home and I filled their bedrooms with sewing machines. <laughs> what, what a display, Andrea. We've got um, a nice selection, we think, of prints that members have entered during the, the last season at the Southern Photographic Society. So you can see we've got um, flowers and night skies, boats, motorbikes natural images, birds, all sorts. So it's just a, a little selection of work that members have done during the last year. The one that's really caught my eye is that Singer sewing machine. I was just chatting with Jenny up there in the homestead tent and uh, how beautiful they are, but that image has just captured it, hasn't it? Oh, thank you, that's one of mine. Is it? Well, I never... <laughs> it, was, it was for um, a, a competition that was themed vintage. So it was. it's a proper old vintage sewing machine, so it seemed to fit the theme, it, yeah. It really yeah. did. And I quite like the way that people have used maybe some of the mod modern editing tools to sort of make them a little bit different. Yes, I mean, we've got all, all sorts of... We have members of all levels, um, all interests. Um, some are quite, as you can see, quite practised in Photoshop and the likes of that, and others are more, you know, um, take a snap. Some of them even into pictures they've taken on their phones, so we've got a huge variety of members, yeah. And that was the question I was going to ask you, because lots of the um, camera... Uh, well, cameras generally are, are very expensive and maybe not everyone can afford them so it doesn't necessarily have to be the professional equipment. No, that's one of the things we say, please do come along, have a look you know, we've got really experienced members with top of the range cameras and then we've got people who just use a compact or as I said even some on their phone so it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a barrier to getting involved yeah. in photography, we'll, we'll, you know, anybody can come along and join and take part. And for the, for the categories here, obviously a wide range, is that something you have within the, the organisation where if you're into nature in particular, you sort of hang around with more nature people that are sort of 
giving knowledge, isn't it, I suppose, and passing on tips and advice. That's right. I was talking to one of our members earlier who's really interested in bird photography and I was saying he's actually inspired me to go start looking at birds. So you can see we've got people who are into sports, yeah, um, vintage yeah. transport, the railways, some people who do beautiful still lifes, the dandelion seed there. That's um, an incredible picture. And, image, yeah. and, and they can get, well, they can see these photographs online as well. Andrea, is that possible? Do you see a selection of, of yes, what work we, there is? Yes, we've got a website. It's um, Southern Photographic Society. Org, um, or we're on Facebook, same thing, Southern Photographic Society, and there's always a variety of, of images on there. So, Peter, a fantastic day here at Walker's Bell Abbey. What yeah. a display! Yes, yes, we've uh, good display. It's the best I've seen it for uh, for a year or two, and of course the weather as well has brought the people out. It really has, hasn't it? And, um, and of course with Peel being on today as well, you know. Yeah. But I think the Manx people are looking for something to do, aren't they? They've been yeah. locked down and us Manxies don't like being locked in, do we? Oh, no, 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 no. Especially when you're locked down and you can't get a pint. Oh, well, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you brought along today? I've got the uh, the Lister D with a vacuum pump and, a, and uh, runs a milking machine. Well, I never. She'd be still working today, would she? So I'm looking for a cow. Oh, no! <laughs> Well, James Galley, what a fantastic exhibit you have here at the Southern Vintage. Tell me, what have you brought along today? What have I brought along today? Well, most of the exhibits here are all my father's, from, ranging from um, like push-along uh, lawnmowers to obviously ones that are run by a, a petrol engine. But we've also got stationary engines as well. So we've got a Wolseley, we've got a Wolseley stationary engine, we've got a National Gas Oil engine that dates to the 19, dates of 1920. And, and what will they have used that for, James? Um, were, most of the stationary engines would used to be would used to power like sort of like um, like ge generators or machinery and farms. So when this was when these all came along, it made a huge huge difference to agriculture. No longer the horses. Basically, like everything's inv invented for a specific you know a specific purpose. Like, and, and what's your favourite exhibit, James? What's my favourite exhibit? I would say my favourite exhibit would be some of these uh, vintage stationary engines because some of them could be also used for powering light. We've got one that's powered by a, a water pump as well. Some of them were built with accessories, like also some of them would run like electric generators. Absolutely fantastic. What an absolutely wonderful display you've got here. How many have you got? Do you know how many is roughly in total? There, there's got to be more than 20. I'd say, right at a guess, probably about 300 and maybe so, maybe so engines. But then again, it could be le it could be a lot less than that. This is a, a lifetime's uh, achievement. You know, this is incredible to have all of these engines tinkered with, acquired over time, and maintained yes. and running here for us to see today. You know, like you say, they date back so many years. What's the oldest one you've got? Well, I would say the national. The National Gas Oil Engine would date to obviously 1920, so that's the probably the, er, the earliest. My name is uh, Debbie Galley. I am the current secretary of the Southern Vintage Engine and Tractor Club. Well, Debbie, what a display of stuff you've got here! Goodness, are these uh, bits and pieces you've collected over the over the years while the boys are busy with the uh, lawnmowers and all the other exhibits? These are household things. Uh, yes, they, they are indeed. They've been handed down um, through the, the family uh, on 
my husband Bill Galley's uh, side. Uh, they didn't throw, literally throw anything away. Wow. So yes, it's quite a, it's quite a heritage. It really is. And just looking on the table here, we've got the, the kettle for off the uh, Rayburns. The um, irons, and the irons, not as we know them with the electric behind them, they are just heavy, heavy shaped iron. Yes, um, women would put them on their ranges in Victorian and Edwardian times, and they would, would heat, them, heat them up then to prevent clothes uh, from scorch, getting scorch marks on them. They would put a, a, a metal shoe uh, on them and then the, the heat would come through from the iron to, to the shoe and... And away and, like that, and, and yeah, and save them from getting burnt. Yeah. My word, what's your favourite exhibit, Debbie? I would think uh, the irons because of their social history. Uh, I mean, the, some of the irons are, of course, uh, much lighter to use and uh, it's just really interesting to, to experience the change of oh, well Bill just chatting with James there and, and how many exhibits you brought along today how many is there? Uh, there's 50 engines here today oh, my, personally I've got 50 engines oh my word, a full time job at home? yes yeah. <laughs> and like James was saying you know, they're preserving the, the history and the nostalgia of years gone by for future generations like myself and others to enjoy it's absolutely a huge achievement for you well yes if we didn't do that uh, I'm saving history from the scrap man <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> yes but how long would it take you to you know go along to one of these scrap sales and find something of interest and then think oh I can do this up and get in parts and all the rest of it how long would it take you three to six months per machine Really? Yes. And, and are the parts easy to acquire? Yes. If ah. you know where to ask and you know the right people, because I'm in the UK clubs for this, um. so I know, the man, I know the right man to ask to get the parts, generally. So many of these exhibits, would they have come from the island? 90% of them, yes. Over there, uh, at the end, is a blue tractor, and that, we think, worked for the forestry board in the 50s. And that's just had a new set of final drive bearings fitted in the last two months. Friends from the clubs have helped me and we fitted it and it's its first, ta first time out today oh, and it broke so down in the ring. Oh no! <laughs> I was towed out but yes it's back up, it's there to be seen in the ring, it's there for people to enjoy. Yeah, and absolutely. the main thing is with this, people enjoy it. People, yeah. We do it for people's entertainment. Yeah. And what would be your favourite exhibit? Probably the 101 year old engine there. Wow, 101 yes. years old. It looks like it's brand new. It's, it's had, gleaming, isn't it's it? It's had a lot of work done on it and a lot of help. And what was she being used for? Originally, the big flywheel on the back, it was on a farm near Jerby and it drove like a cattle crusher or a, a turnip chopper or whatever. Any, any sort of, well, oh no, we haven't gotten here today. Any sort of machinery on the farm that needed a belt to drive it, it worked it. Oh. I was Bill Galley, the chairman, his wife Debbie, the secretary and son James, and also 
Jenny Bean, who had the singer sewing machines, and Andrea from the Southern Photographic Society. You wouldn't know how to work a sewing machine, Kerry, would you? <laughs> hey? They were beautiful. Well, it was absolutely wonderful, the story about the calf of man and the uh, ship going down there with the singer sewing machines on. So, if anybody out there has a so- singer sewing machine from back in 1923, uh, Jenny Bean wants to hear from you. You're listening to Countryside here on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark. Well, the bats are quite common round the Isle of Man, difficult to spot unless you've got the right equipment to detect them, and the Manx Bat Group have such items. I went along to one of their bat counts uh, and joined Nick Pinder from the Manx Bat Group, and, uh, well, we're a sort of secret location, but uh, is this one of the places that's renowned for bats? Um, well, it's a, a roost that we know of, and we're trying to do a count. As we're just coming up to the start of the annual roost counts. There's a UK national programme every year where they count the bats coming out over the long term. That gives them an idea whether bats are declining or increasing. And we're trying to do our part towards that by doing roost counts at various locations around the island. So it's not a case of just going out with a group of people this evening and enjoying it. It's actually a, a task at hand. Well, yes, but hopefully it's enjoyable as well. Um, I find it so. Uh, occasionally, after about your third one in a week, you know, it gets a bit. <laughs> you want to lie in the next day, but um, it's really nice when when you do get bats coming out and it sort of lifts your spirits again. That the natural world is working properly. Right, well, we're just on sunset, or it's just gone sunset. I mean, I mean, bats won't have watches and things. So do they look out and have a look at see how light it is, is it? Um, there is a suggestion that they do what's called light sampling, um, and they come to the roost entrance and, and we'll have a look out and see if it's dark enough yet for them to go out, because uh, obviously nice... Uh, sized piece of meat for something bigger that eats meat and they want to avoid them as much as possible. The bats around here, I mean, there are several types on the island, isn't there? Um, over the last couple of years we found two, two new species for the island, or confirmed them at least, so we're up to nine now. Uh, three species of pipistrel, three myotis, and the three owls, long-eared, lyslers and lesser horseshoe which is the most recently confirmed species so quite exciting times we're looking around uh, up at a roof i feel like kelly's eye here but we're looking up at the top <laughs> yes. of of a roof here um and the, i can see a small gap i think that a few people were looking at near the chimney yes that's a fairly typical place for uh, pipper straw bats to, to use um, they like getting between the slate and the roofing felt where it gets nice and toasty warm for them and this is for the maternity roost, so the, all the females come together, um, up to 200 we know of in the island, uh, to have their babies. They just have one baby each, but um, it's nice and warm in there for the babies. Right, so the, the bat detector you've got there, I mean, is that something that uh, he, you know, picks up the sound when they fly past? Does it, does it register or store it or anything? Um, yes, this is quite a fancy bit. Um, and we're very grateful to the Manx Lottery Trust for uh, six of the 12 that we now have. 
because they, they are quite expensive because they do exactly that they they automatically tell you what frequency the bat is that it's just recorded it records the sound on a computer card which you can then put in a computer program to analyze and decide what sort of bat it is there's one nick yes it's uh, good that they've come out and not going to disappoint you Nick Pinder from the Manx Bat Group, and great to hear the, the sounds there. We were, weren't disappointed, Kiri. It was good. Oh, they are so wonderful, aren't they? Dipping in and dipping out right in front of you. So cheeky, aren't they? But, yeah, there's plenty of bats around. It's just known where they are, isn't it? We've had to pack a lot into this week's programme, uh, but if you want to hear the interviews in full, just go to Manx Radio's podcast on the website, powered by Miller Chaps of Ramsey. Go to the podcast and you'll find Countryside in there. You can listen to it in full at your leisure. And we're going to have four weeks off, Kiri. Wow. A chance for some R&R. Um, we'll see if we can arrange a trip to maybe the uh, adjacent isle down the south of the island. You never know. It's always very busy down there. It is. So until then, from me, Simon Clark. And me, Kiri Kermit. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.